Alright, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and to know that we're adopted children by grace through faith in your precious Son. We're so grateful for this truth, this reality, a grace gift called salvation. And we thank you so much. It's not something we have to earn or deserve. Father, at this point, we also pray for those that couldn't be here this evening, who wanted to be. Uh, you know their struggles, and we ask that you heal them and comfort them and give them strength and energy to go forward in your plan wherever they are and bring them back to us as soon as you can. And Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the love that motivated him to uh, live out his plan, your plan for him, to walk all the way up to that cross, take our punishment upon himself, and then rise from the grave to prove his victory. Father, we ask that you bless this time right now in your word. Guide us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. Help us understand supernatural things. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, once again, eternal assurance, let not your hearts be troubled, part two today. Uh, on Sunday, the Spirit started us by focusing us on the person of Jesus and his love and forgiveness. And as I was, I was writing this up and kind of reviewing Sunday, and, you know, we always go through a few points, key points from the previous message, what a better place to start any message than let's focus on the person of Jesus and the love and forgiveness we have through him. What better? Nothing better. In this case, God used it for an introduction to the concept of eternal assurance. On Sunday, I shared with you a thought-provoking quote from a Bible scholar named D.L. Moody, and it reminds us, uh, reminds us excuse me, of how simple and pure heaven will be, all because of the work of Christ on the cross. So let me share that with you again on the board from D.L. Moody. He said, The light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. I just think about when we're singing in heaven, like there's not going to be a care in the world and we're all singing perfectly, <laughs> right? That's going to be nice. And in perfect harmony, and the joy we're going to have is going to be unexplainable because we're looking at the one and we finally see the one who saved us. It's going to be, it is indescribable right now, but it's something that we should step back and imagine because this world is so, so temporary. If you're letting this world get to you or letting people get to you, you've got to raise up above it and just be like, you know what, what's the big picture here? What's our destiny? How long are we really here? The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. 
The duration of heaven is the eternity of Jesus. The fullness of heaven is Jesus himself. Imagine being in heaven and realizing that all the bright, amazing, beautiful, powerful light that you're experiencing is all coming from his person. There's not going to be any other center of the universe besides him. Again, it's way beyond words, but we should stop and imagine these things and remember, you know, we're here temporarily. Our life is not our own. And uh, I mean, I have, I have a relative right now on hospice care and it just, life goes in the blink of an eye. So look forward to this. Develop this attitude that Mr. Moody had. So life itself is really all about Jesus and his total victory on the cross and through the resurrection. And that's why life is good for us. That's why we can step back and not let details really bother us. Are they annoying sometimes? Yes. Do they get the better of us sometimes? Yes. But we really shouldn't let them really bother us, consume us in any way. If so, our eyes are off of Jesus, off of eternity and eternal assurance. He's the one that's made life good for us. So we also talked on Sunday about how God, who is love, became manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So this is something that um, we should never underestimate. Um, to think that love is a person is hard for us to grasp. But God is love and love became a person. God became a person. Love manifest. God's love came alive to us as the God-man reached across the chasm between us to do something about our problems of sin and death, which were unsolvable problems for us. That's why it's called a, a chasm that can't be crossed. I was thinking, I was, as I think, I, was, I forget when, I, when this happened, but when I was studying for this, I was picturing the Grand Canyon. And your requirement, if you want to be saved, is to stand on one edge of the Grand Canyon and jump across the other side. No assistance, no vehicles, no motors, no human inventions, jump. If you make it, you can live. If you don't make it, you die. That's how impossible it is for us to save ourselves. But love crossed the chasm, this impossible chasm, impossible to us. So the Spirit had me dwelling on this, uh, as you know, on Sunday, and on our church family as well, and he brought this up too, regarding love manifest. If God's love reached across the chasm to cover our sins and transgressions, uh, shouldn't we do the same for one another? Obviously a rhetorical question that doesn't need answering. 1 Peter 4, 8 was our main verse on this. Peter wrote, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, above all things, regardless of other factors, emotions, um, being right or wrong, regardless of all those things, put them aside and keep loving one another earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Covers. There's nothing like that. Like think of, think of something being erased, forgotten about, where it's not between you anymore kind of thing, right? It's gone because someone totally forgave you like God forgave you. Just think about that freedom. God's like, I did that for you. How can you not do that for someone lesser? 
And it's not easy to forgive. You know, we, we know it depends what we've been through and things like that. I'm not saying it's easy in our flesh. But th this is where our motivation comes from. If we get God's motivation, this love, if we tap into his love, it's going to be the impossible becomes possible. Just like leaping that chasm. So love's first instinct is to cover the sins and failures of others. That's the love of Christ. Think about when Jesus was walking around on earth, how kind he was to people that sinned against him. How kind he was to people that doubted him. I mean, you're, you're God. You're literally God in the flesh and someone doubts you. That shouldn't be forgivable, really, if you're God. But that's who he is. His first instinct is kindness. Let me cover their sins. Let me be kind and show them. And, and God, you know, the Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And if you don't know that yet, maybe consider all the sins you've been forgiven. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so we can pass that same love on. So on Sunday, we were talking about resentment and either living in it or casting it behind our back. You know, the implication being if it's cast behind your back, you don't see it anymore. Because thank God he didn't give us eyes in the back of our head. You don't see it anymore. That's a choice. Cast it behind your back and then reach out forward and love the one that, that offended you. Sounds simple, right? It's only simple if we have the faith of a child, isn't it? It's difficult otherwise. But we are told that we must especially forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can read Matthew 18, 21 through 25 on your own if you want. Uh, we're going to read a, a, a small piece of it. And Colossians uh, 3, 13. Uh, let's go to Colossians 3, 12. Let's just start there as we're getting warmed up tonight. Speaking of warmed up, it's kind of warm in here. I don't know if it's the lights or the heat or what, but I'm like dying. Anybody else? No biggie, I'll be all right. It's probably the spotlights, but. All right, so Colossians 3.12. Again, the point on the board. We're talking about resentment and either living in it you can do that if you want, but you'll be miserable. Or casting it behind our back and reaching out and purposefully loving the one that, that offended us. We must forgive, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Colossians 3.12. Put on then, remember in duo, put it on like a garment. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony you know the spirit gave us this topic on sunday as an introduction because it's this kind of love that saved us and it's this kind of love that keeps us saved. Without this, we, we, we wouldn't have hope. If God wasn't a God of love, imagine that. Imagine if he was righteous and just and holy. And he wasn't a God of love and compassion and mercy. 
So it's that very love that saved us and even keeps us saved, as we're going to see. And that's where our eternal assurance comes from, because his love can't die. His love never fails. That's one place eternal assurance comes from. If he did all he did already on the cross, how is he not going to keep you saved? How is he not going to forgive you when you repent? Like, you know, how is he not going to do all the other stuff when he's already done the greatest thing? So it's the faithfulness and stability of God's perfect love that keeps us saved. Remember this also on Sunday, Proverbs 17, 9, part A. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Not exposes, covers an offense. That's love. And the Spirit's point is and has been for us lately regarding love manifest, we need to abide in the sphere of God, which is the sphere of love. They're one and the same. They're inseparable. God is love. That's his life, if you will, eternal life. He wants us to live there. The same sphere of God's love that saved us and keeps us saved. Live there. Stay there. Be at peace with me and with others. If you're in this bubble, for lack of a better word, there's a protection in there. And love first. Watch how love, when, when you do that thing, washes away resentment and bitterness, you know, down the stream. And you have to choose it, though, to live in that sphere. He chose to do it for us. So regarding eternal assurance, Jesus purchased eternal life for us by his blood, and he has also given us eternal assurances of what's to come in a lot of different forms, a lot of different ways. We're not going to be able to get to them all tonight, and I hope maybe to continue this series in the future, um, because there are so many examples in Scripture and different angles he comes at it with and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about how much I'm protecting you, how much you're uh, you know, unified with me. I'm going to tell you in different ways how you're secure eternally in my hands. So again, Jesus purchased eternal life for us by his blood, and he has also given us eternal assurances of what's to come. Thank God. He didn't have to do that in his word. He could have said, believe in me and you'll be saved, and have no verses about assurance. But he's a good God, right? He's a good father. So this is why, again, life is good for us. Eternal life, which is God's life, it's so far beyond and so far better than the transactions that we look to in this life. It's not even worthy of comparison. So we need to transcend our circumstances. Oh, we get bound up in the circumstances and the details so easily, don't we? Like a spider's web. We're so stupid. Um, we don't keep this perspective of eternal life that we possess and this love that we can live in. And we can just not let anything bother us. You know, a pastor always says you're untouchable. What does he mean by that? Does he mean you won't have problems? No, it means the problems can't affect you when you're living in the sphere of God, in the sphere of love. They won't affect you. They won't really bother you. So we have this choice to make every day. Eternal life, by the way. And I was just reading a book that mentioned this too. 
Eternal life not only refers to the fact that it's forever, but also refers to a certain quality of life, the life abundant that Jesus promised us. And we talked about this briefly on Sunday too, about living in eternal life. And this might be a good summary statement of it. It's, it's not complicated, it's simple and it's beautiful, such as let's choose to be grateful and abide in the sphere of God's love. If you do those two things every day, you will be happy. You will be at peace because that's the way Jesus Christ thought. He was always thanking the Father and he was always in the sphere of love with the Father and the Spirit and with his followers, at least on his end. But that's a choice to live an eternal life or not. That's God's life. That is more than abundant. While we're there, let's just take a look at that in John 10.10, the Gospel of John 10, verse 10. Just to see what Jesus said about this life that he came to give us. Again, on the board, living in eternal life, let's choose to be grateful and abide in the sphere of God's love. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not average, not get through life. Have it abundantly. That means love, joy, peace, patience, right? We can go through the fruit of the Spirit. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's the destiny of us, of we believers. We're designed to live in this new life, God's life. We're here. That's, that's God's great desire for us as our Father, to live in this eternal life. Another thought from the Spirit on Sunday was this, and I had to share this from Pastor Collins um, from a week ago, that some people know facts about God without being moved are motivated by them. Something to really think about, and as came out on Sunday, the two extremes would be unbeliever and believer. Unbelievers know the facts about God, just like Satan knows the facts about God, but he chose not to be moved by them. He chose not to surrender, to take God's love for himself, so to speak, receive God's love and what he did for him. Some people know facts about God without being moved or motivated by them. So let's choose every day to be moved and motivated by what we read and hear from the Word of God. And that takes humility and submission. But we surrender that way, we're going to be living in eternal life, the life more abundantly. More abundant, whatever you want to say. So we might say also that our, our humble quest as believers could be summed up in Ephesians 3.19. Kind of like we just saw that point, living in eternal life, be grateful and live in the love, the sphere of God's love, right? Look at Ephesians 3.19 on the board. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We could say that's our quest as believers. I want to know, I want to understand the love of Christ. 
that goes way beyond knowledge, according to this verse, way beyond the facts. I want to know the love of Christ. And look at, look at the, the, the Spirit's wish for us, that you may be filled up, filled with all the fullness of God. Sounds like the sphere of God's love to me. There you have living in eternal life, my friends. There you have living in the assurance that God wants you to have as one of his own. So as came out also on Sunday, we've often been led by the Spirit to examine our faith, making sure we're of the faith and we're not playing games with God. And that's a very healthy thing to do. But when you go through that process and you come out the other side of it and you pray to God, you go to God one-on-one, which I'm sure you've all done if you've been here any amount of time, and you come out the other side of it and you're convinced that you're saved, you're convinced you're a believer by the grace of God, by some of the characteristics we're going to go through tonight, you're convinced that, hey, you know what, that is me. That is my heart. That is how I think. Huh, that's pretty good. I like that. That there's assurance in that. And when you have that kind of assurance, you should more and more claim the promises and evidences that we have in Christ that we're going to see in the Bible. So let me remind you of where the Spirit kicked off uh, this topic, or how he kicked off this topic from the Kids' Corner on Religion on 2120. It says, so how do the religions of the world differ from Christianity? Worldly religions teach people that salvation must be earned and kept by their good works. These good works, then, are motivated by fear of losing that salvation. The power source for their works is self, giving glory to self. In other words, self is trying to earn it or deserve it on their own. This all resulting in a life of insecurity as people strive to remain good enough. How awful. But then it goes on to say, as today's verse tells us, God promises Christians a life of peace as we trust in him for all things. It's totally the opposite of every other world religion. God promises Christians a life of peace as we trust in him for all things. Thank you, God, for your love and grace as you offer us eternal security through the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's through him that we're granted all these gifts, including eternal assurance, security. We're granted graciously, by grace, through faith, all these blessings if we receive them. By grace, through faith. And all of this, don't forget, was motivated by his amazing love, the sphere of God. What is God? Who is God? That love motivated all this to happen. Ever since the cross, the dominoes took effect. You know, like all these things are now true about us who have repented and trusted in him. Eternal assurance in Christ. The Bible says, if you're a believer, you're in Christ or in Christ Jesus. That means you're in union with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because salvation depends upon God and Christ and his love and faithfulness, we believers can have assurance because his work and his power are perfect. Rest on that. 
Assurance is something God wants us to have that he wants us to walk around with on a daily basis. And we saw today's verse in the, in the kids' corner, which uh, motivated this, peace, John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, not the world's peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Love that. Love it. Whenever you're worrying about silly things or you're even doubting God's faithfulness, let not your hearts be troubled. Ask yourself this question. Why would Jesus tell we believers not to be afraid if we actually had something to be afraid of? Would he do that? Would the most honest man that, that ever lived, the, the only perfect person with perfect integrity and character and grace and truth, would he ever tell you not to be afraid if there was something to be afraid of? So your confidence or your assurance should, should go up even more. Just like he said in John 14, 1 and 2, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He was so kind. Here he is in the presence of the apostles that were doubting him. And he's so kind by that statement. Why would, would I have told you that? Like if it was us, we'd be like, why are you doubting me, right? I promise you, you know, you know I'm trustworthy, right? We, we, we would be offended or at least express our offense. If it were not so, would I have even told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Let not your hearts be troubled. So we really need to ask ourselves, if we are insecure, why are we insecure? Why are we acting like doubting Thomas? Which such clear scriptures like this given to us from the lips of our Lord himself. Turn again to Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 1. So we had these two wonderful scriptures in John 14, which included, let not your hearts be troubled. And on Romans 8, we use this as a springboard into this series on eternal insurance as well. I want to read parts of this because, again, there's just wonderful stuff here, which we might, you know, jump back to later on. We'll see. But look at Romans 8.1. Think of our topic, eternal assurance. Okay? Why should we be assured that we're saved and going to heaven one day with the Lord? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So if you're a believer, take that to heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Look at that wonderful statement. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Look at verse 7. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You should have a certain confidence of your relationship with God. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more coming up about being born again and saved. But if you have surrendered to God and you've admitted your sin, you, you've gone to him and repented of your sins and you've turned to Christ from your heart and said, Jesus, save me. Then he came into you. He does something with that person. He saves that person. And you now are a child of God, and the Holy Spirit will witness that to your own spirit, will convince you of that by the grace of God. And look at verse 28, Romans 8, 28. This is like the drum roll section that we talked about on Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, how can, you, how can you be saved and lose your salvation if he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son? If that's something God's going to fulfill, if that's your destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the finish line. That's where you're going to end up. By the grace of God, by his work in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's another thought. If God doesn't keep us saved, how is he going to have many brothers in heaven? It has to be something God does, that God finishes, which he does always promise to finish throughout Scripture. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's like when Jesus said, what I've told you, I'd go to prepare a mansion for you if it wasn't, if it wasn't true. Verse 32. 
he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember the love that covers sin? That love? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, says Paul, again, think of eternal assurance. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. doesn't get any better than that. The love that willingly went to the cross for us is the same love that keeps us. These are confidence-building questions that we should embrace. We should, we should go home with and rejoice in these questions that are meant to show us that nothing can separate us from the love of God once we are His. So on the board regarding eternal assurance, do we forget that by grace, through faith, we believers are co-victors with Jesus Christ, more than conquerors through him who loved us? Romans 8.37. Do we forget that simple but powerful truth that we should walk around with every day? We should walk around with great confidence where people don't know why we're confident. They should be like, what does he have? <laughs> Look at him. What does he have? He's five foot nothing. What does he have? Why is he so confident? There's something that, that the love of Christ, really, when you live in it, exudes from us that people should say, huh. And that, that, that's the kind of confidence you should possess. And that's why the things don't bother you. That's why you can transcend your circumstances. Because of truths like this, we're co-victors with Christ. It's done. It's finished. We just read you're already glorified. It doesn't say you will be glorified. You're already glorified. With Christ, seated with him in heavenly places, by the way, in Ephesians 2. Seated with him. Past tense. So if these don't give us assurance, what will, right? And if you're having trouble with this, ask God for more faith. That's all you can do. Ask God for more faith. Like doubting Thomas. Kept doubting to the last minute. I was reading about the resurrection. I think it's the end of uh, Matthew. Uh, probably Matthew 28. Where even after Thomas touched his wounds and all that, right? He said, here, touch my wound. You don't believe it's me? Just touch my scars. Even after that, they went to the mountain before the ascension. 
And it says, Jesus was preaching to them all on the mountain, and some doubted. It's a mind blow, right? There he is. He's, he even let you touch his scars, and, he, and you see he's new, and he walked through a wall. And he's, he literally went up into heaven in front of their eyes, and some doubted. If that's you, well, join the club, first of all. The apostles did it. But ask God for more faith. Ask God for more faith, because these promises are ridiculous. For us to not have confidence from these, we're just lacking faith. We're letting the flesh get in the way. We're buying the lies of the world that tell us this isn't true. And this, by the way, and I have this in my notes, this is why we need the Word of God daily, everybody. I mean, let's face it, we're weak in the flesh. The faith doesn't come from ourselves. We need the Word. We need uh, this gracious pulpit God has given us. And we need to read our Bibles daily. And that is our protection from falling for the lies of insecurity, the lies the world wants you to believe that, eh, maybe you're not going to heaven. You know, maybe you're not co-victors with Christ yet. Maybe you've got to do something to earn it like all the other religions in the world. If you don't keep this, if you don't keep flooding your soul with the Word of God, washing away the grime with the Word of God, you're going to be miserable. You're going to fall for the lies of insecurity. But God wants us to be secure and assured that we're His. That's really our destiny. So we're going to get into some points from the blog that Pastor wrote last year, March 1st of 19, on assurance of salvation is by grace through faith. Hopefully you got a chance to review this over the last few days and you spiritually were, were filled from it like a good meal. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel in this series. I mean, there's a lot of teaching out there on eternal security, but I'm just going to use the blog as a guideline, kind of some main points at least, parts of it, and then see where the Spirit leads us to expand. All glory be to God that He gives us these things and encourages us this way. So the first uh, point we're going to review from the blog, Assurance of Salvation is by Grace Through Faith. As true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Again, as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. We see this idea, this concept, this fellowship being enjoyed. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, 1 John 1.3, Galatians 2.20, and 1 John 5.1, just to name a few. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now please listen carefully. If you read this verse, and you enjoy what you just read, if there's some type of joy that you get from reading that and knowing this, and that's a reality in your life, that's a fruit of salvation. That's a reason for eternal assurance right there. We're going to get into this as we go. Go to 1 John 1, verse 1. Not the gospel, but to the back of your Bible. 1 John 1, verse 1. 
Again, the point on the board is that as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. Remember our points on love manifest? The life, eternal life, God is love. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Hope you see the connection. That's the sweet fellowship that we have knowing God loves us in the sphere of love. Knowing that He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's the sphere of love. That's where the fellowship takes place with the Father and the Son. Look at 1 John 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. We have two things here. First, we see the simple truth of being born again or born of God. The one that trusts in Jesus as the Christ, as his Lord and Savior, has been born of God. And then we see a fruit or evidence of that is love for the Father and love for those born of him. That's an evidence that you're one of his. Remember the love that covers a multitude of sins? In other words, we believers, we carry on his love, the same manner of loving, the same way of loving. Love covers a multitude of sins. He forgave us. I have to forgive my brothers. And that's an evidence. That's one of the evidences of that, being, that you're in Christ Jesus. So again on the board, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. And here's a verse that really humbles me every time I read it. Uh, go to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. For me, this like so uh, simplifies life and brings it down to where I need to be, how I need to think. <clears throat> Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Oof. Now, if you enjoy this thought, if this reading this brings you some pleasure or relief, if you, if you have a joy in your soul because of it, that's a reason for assurance with God. That's a sign that your heart has been changed. That's a sign that you're in Christ Jesus. Because God says so. On the board. Eternal assurance in Christ. If in your heart you enjoy these truths found in verses like Galatians 
you apparently possess some supernaturally granted love and affection for Christ. Because a man can only receive that by grace through faith as a gift from God. That type of faith, that type of response of gratitude for a verse like Galatians 2.20, that can only come from God. So have assurance. Be assured if that's what's going on in your heart. Go to uh, Romans 8.31. I want to show you one other verse here. And we already went here, but God wants us believers to live a life of assurance that he is now for us and not against us anymore. We were his enemies, right? In Romans 5, he died for us while we were his enemies. But if he did that, much more than, much more he's going to save us by his life, right? That's what Romans 5 says. Look at Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, God's for you now. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How would he not? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would he put his son to death and then not give us the, the extras that come with the gift of eternal life? Why would he go to that length and then not give us all things on top of that? He already did all the, all the heavy lifting on the cross. So the Spirit's saying again to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Stop worrying so much. Embrace these promises that God gives us in His Word and live life, the life more abundant. Our next point from the blog is that as true believers, we are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. This is great too, right? I mean... God has his ways that he works with each of us and the ways that he comforts us. Psalm 34, 8, for example, you can turn there. Psalm 34, 8. There's also 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Philippians 4, 19, Hebrews 4, 16, and 1 Peter 5, 10. We are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Is that you? Do you take refuge in him? Do you habitually turn to him in your heart for help? Uh, do you seek your heavenly father's protection under his omnipotent wings? Do you seek to hide under his wings? If so, that's another good sign that your heart has been changed and you belong to him. So you should be assured. On the board, as we've been learning, true believers have an affection for the Lord Jesus. Some type of affection for the Lord Jesus. That's a fruit of a born-again believer. That's a sign that you're heart has been changed because your attitude is now different. Your respect, your admiration even for Jesus Christ is different than it was before when you were an unbeliever. 
True believers have an affection for the Lord Jesus. That's a fruit of being born again. We've already seen this, and I put the verses down there again. We've already read these. But we just saw this in 1 John 1, 3 and 5, 1. That's what a believer looks like. So you should be assured if that's you. The Lord is our confidence, remember, right? How long was that series? It's still going on, I think. I'm not sure. We'll see. The Lord is our confidence. He's the reason we're confident that we can walk around and not let things bother us, that everyone else lets bother them. I hope you see it. We're saved through Christ and his power, not by our own power. So if we're saved by his power and he already saved us, then that's where we reside. That's where we live. We're his. We're in his hands. Remember this old friend on the board, John 1, 12 and 13? And I put this up here to remind us that we're not saved by our own human willpower. We're saved by his power. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, we could stop right there, right? He gave the right to become children of God. He gave that to you as a gift when you believed in his name. And then it describes what a child of God looks like, who were born, not of blood, in other words, not who you're related to on earth, not by the will of your flesh, not by the will of man, but of God. You were born of God when you trusted in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. So it's not by our own power. If he did it, he also keeps us. So on the board, born again and saved. If you've repented towards God and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus, then you will have an affection for him. And you can rest assured he called you and elected you. You belong to him. You know, in our flesh, we have a tendency to look at um, our weaknesses and our frailties and our failures to discourage us from our security in his hands. Because that's the flesh saying it depends on us in some way. If you've done this thing, you're born again and saved. If you have an affection for him, you can rest assured that he called you and elected you. You belong to him. He changed you. And I just put a bunch of scriptures here on the, on the board that we're not going to go to tonight, but that you're all quite familiar with from the past lessons, like Luke 18, 13 through 14, John 1, 12 and 13, uh, 3, 1 through 18. Acts 16, 31, Acts 20, 21, and Romans 10, 9 through 11. If you want, write those down and go home and review them again. This is what it looks like, salvation looks like, being born again looks like. But turn to one verse for some assurance tonight, which is our topic. Go to Luke 18, 13. Luke 18, 13. This is what it looks like to be born again and saved. And if that describes you, if that looks like you in your heart and in your life, well, embrace it. Be assured. He says you belong to him. Luke 18, 13 through 14. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, 
be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, on the board, if you've repented towards God and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus to save you, then you will have an affection for him. And you can then rest assured that he has called you and elected you. You belong to him, according to the word of God. And our main point was that we are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. Let's uh, finish up a few more verses here as we close. Go to 2 Corinthians 1, 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I can't believe we're not going to get halfway through this, but that's okay. It's all good. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I promise we'll finish this up in the future when I get another opportunity, hopefully. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Are you grateful like this? When you read that verse, are you grateful that God is good, for example, and he's a God of mercy? If so, then be at rest, rest assured of your eternal relationship with Christ. Hopefully you see the theme of tonight. On the board regarding eternal assurance in Christ, if appreciation for these truths is going on in your heart, that's a sign you belong to him. It's that simple and pure, everybody. Salvation's not like a, a tricky thing, like, you know, a game that you got to figure out. God wants a surrender. And it's between each of us and God. But when you do that thing and you trust in Christ, if these truths, if you, if you appreciate these scriptures, that's a sign you belong to him. It's that simple and pure. That's good fruit right there, fruit of his spirit that is within you. So, in other words, you know what the opposite would be of this is? Indifference. Indifference. is either appreciation or gratitude for these things you're reading, or there's indifference, which exists in some people in churches today. They're like, eh, I could take it or leave it. That's what's going on in their heart. That's what's going on in their thinking. They're indifferent. So, yeah, I hope it's true. Yeah, I hope you surrender too. We're all going to slip and fall at times, everybody, with doubts. Everybody does it. Thank God for the failures of the apostles, right, in Scripture. Thank God for doubting Thomas that we can see one of his own that walked with him and talked with him and touched his wounds after the resurrection, he failed. We're all going to fail at times. But a believer repents and comes back to him. And the, you know why? Because they know something. More appropriately, they know someone. They know him. When a believer falls and fails, when you fall and fail... If you repent and come back to God on your knees in humility and you know he's going to be there for you, 
Well, guess what? You know somebody. You know him. You know what he's like. You know he's the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort like we just read. So on the board, I'm probably going to close with this point regarding, again, being born again and saved. True believers know the Lord. That's what the Bible says. They know who he is and his love and faithfulness and forgiveness. Such as found in John 10, 14 through 16, 27 through 28, 17 verse 3, 2 Timothy 2, 19. And please jot those down. We're not going to get to them all tonight, so we have to close in a couple minutes. But in all those verses, it says that the Lord knows his and his know him. All right? As opposed to the other side of the coin, we might say the indifferent one, right? who's not appreciative of these truths, as opposed to those lawless ones to whom Jesus said, I never knew you. That's a distinguishing characteristic of an unbeliever when the judgment comes. Jesus says, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, in Matthew 7, 23, and also Matthew 25, 12. So these are the opposing truths of believers and unbelievers. But true believers know the Lord. They know who He is. They know His love, His faithfulness, and forgiveness, and are grateful for it. And this is one way you know you're His, and you should be assured. We'll close with just a couple of verses here in John. Go to John 10, 14. John 10, 14. We'll read verse 14 through 16. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Look at John 10, 27 and 28. He goes on to say, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Thank God, the perfect shepherd, huh? Perfect shepherd, not lose one. I don't care how many wolves come at us. He won't lose one. And then let's close with John 17, verse 1 through 3. John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Be encouraged by that. If you know this God of love, if you've turned to him for mercy, if you have an affection for Jesus Christ, this is eternal life. Remember love. Remember love manifest? 
God's life, the sphere of love. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It is not rocket science, thank God. This is what a believer looks like, and this is uh, where a believer should live with a confidence and assurance that we're his and no one can snatch us out of his hand, as we just read. Amen? All right, let's close. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much for all of the promises in your word, all the assurances that you give us, and even signs that you give us that we belong to you. We ask that you help us embrace these things, Father, and have our confidence be in you. We know without you we are nothing, but with you, you have made us into everything. And you've even already glorified us with your Son in heavenly places. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs them so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.